You're listening to Inclusive AF with Jackie Clayton and Katie Van Horn. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Inclusive AF podcast. I am Jackie Clayton, and Katie is probably somewhere gallivanting in Mexico right now, which is great. I never get to do it all by myself. This is a, a thrilling time because, and y'all know, Katie talks all the time. So now I get an opportunity to talk. And today we have special guest, Michelle Ree. So Michelle, why don't you tell all of our audience about you? Sure. So uh, my name is Michelle Ree. I am one of the co-founders of a new company called Build Within. Um, a little bit about me. I actually spent most of my career in K-12 education. Um, including being the chancellor of the Washington, D.C. public schools uh, district, um, but more recently have moved into the workforce development and future of workspace. And in particular, um, we uh, build within is a company that has a software platform that makes it easier for employers to start and manage apprenticeship programs. Ooh, I love that. Apprenticeship. So tell everyone, how does apprenticeship differ from internship, differ from returnships? How does all of that go, get in there? Yes. Um, so it's funny because my co-founder, Jimena, <clears throat> when she came to me initially with this idea and she was like, apprenticeships are going to be the wave of the future. All I could think of was like glass blowers and blacksmiths. Yes. Right? yes. <laughs> Um, and uh, so a lot of people, when they hear the term apprenticeships, they they think of like super old school model, right? But the notion of an apprenticeship generally is the idea that you are learning while you're doing. So you're learning on the job, right? And so back in the olden days, it was like the newbie looking over the shoulder of the master artisan learning the craft, right? And it was very much this kind of one-to-one -one relationship. And I think the, you know, in this country, um, apprenticeships have been effectively utilized by folks in trades and construction. Um, so electricians, plumbers, HVAC folks, right? And what we're really focused on is how can we take this model, this like sort of learning on the job model and apply it more broadly across sectors and industries? Because the, the reality is like we have more than 11 million jobs every year in this country that go unfilled because employers are saying we, we can't find the skilled workforce that we need to fill these roles. Yes. But time, we have almost 10 million un and underemployed people, many of whom would love to move into those jobs, but they don't feel like they have the access, the know-how, right, the skills to do that. Um, and so for those job seekers, the idea that like, I could move into a tech job or something in like renewable energy or healthcare, it seems out of reach, right? Because they're like, I don't know how to do that job. And in order to learn that, I would have to go back to school for, you know, get an undergrad degree or a master's or at the very least, like, attend a three to four month boot camp, right? Right. Most job seekers cannot afford to have that kind of gap in income. Like, I got to pay my rent next week, right? Yeah. So an apprenticeship program um, is one in which the job seeker moves into a role and they have a full time job with pay and benefits from day one, 
And then the idea is that over the course of a year, sometimes two or three, they are learning how to do that job effectively, but it's while they're getting paid. And so it's a great model for the job seeker, but at the same time, like it's equally beneficial to the employer because one, you're accessing a super um, diverse group of candidates, right? So of the job seekers that we have in our database, like 90% of them are people of color, 40% women. We have neurodiverse folks, veterans, like people returning to the workforce, um, after childbirth or incarceration, we have seniors, like you name it, it's super diverse. Um, two, most employers don't know this, but there are a bevy of incentives that exist mm. for employers who start apprenticeship programs and hire apprentices. And that's everything from like wage reimbursements to tax breaks to like training and equipment stipends. And then the last and probably most compelling piece is the fact that um, apprentices stay with their employers. So the best apprenticeship programs in this country have a five-year retention rate of 95%. Wow. They're super loyal, right? They, they're they like, hey, this company believed in me when nobody else did. They invested in my professional development. And so they tend to stay. And if you look at like nowadays with just the churn that so many employers yes. Every 12 to 18 months, they're like just, you know, it's a revolving door. The thought of having a source of candidates who are going to come, they're going to learn, they're going to stay. It's super compelling to employers. Dude, I mean, yes. And I'm, I'm thinking right now, so I run um, TA and DEIB for Textium. I'm looking for a text, uh, new diversity program manager. And I require that someone has two years of experience because there's a lot within the diversity playbook. And it's like, if you haven't done it on a corporate side or understand the business initiatives, you're going to get your feelings hurt in that first year. Or people will say, I want to learn from you. And I'm like, I can't, I don't know how I can do that and push this program forward. Like this is how these things and get into that. But not only would they be getting the skills, you're also showing how it works within your company instead of taking any of the bad habits that come with you from other organizations, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, it's interesting because when you explain the apprenticeship model to people, everyone's bought in. This is one of the like interesting things about apprenticeships, like Republicans love them, Democrats love them, unions, corporations, like broad based support for apprenticeships. So the question is, if everybody loves apprenticeships, why isn't it the case that like every company in this country has an apprenticeship program? Right. And it, um, when we talk to employers about, well, like, what's the hesitation? It comes down to two main things. So the first is it's really hard to get an apprenticeship program like up and running, right? So you have to develop standards and curricula and work processes and have an LEA partner and all this kind of stuff. Um, so that's one of the things which at Build Within, we like take that off the table. We're a national program sponsor approved by the Department of Labor. So like we can work with any employer anywhere. Um, but the other thing is exactly what you just referred to. Um, so even if you have like the CEO and the HR head who's like, yes, we want to do this, where you get pushback is from the line managers, mm. right? These are the folks who are going to have to oversee the apprentice. And they're like, really, you want to saddle me with somebody who doesn't know what they're doing and that I got to teach them how to do it. And where am I going to find all the stuff? And they're like, it just sounds like more work for me. So no, thank you. Right. 
Um, so we've built the platform in such a way where it makes it easy for a manager to oversee the journey of an apprentice. Like everything they could possibly need is right there at their fingertips. Um, and they have all this functionality in the platform that essentially makes it so that you're turning this person from a burden into a value add on the team super quickly and you're accelerating their productivity. Wow. See, I think about that. My husband was a stay-at-home dad. And so the resources were really limited when it was time to go back to work. It's like, where do I go? I don't have a lot of tenureship or just one skill set. And very capable, you know, likes to do various things, has worked as an engineer, has worked as a project manager, you know, um, and there's a lot of people there. And you see a lot of things for moms, not a lot of things for dads. And that's the other um, untapped market. And you're seeing that more of stay at home dads um, that are looking to go back to the workforce. But now is also the time. In the last year, we were talking a couple of years ago in the talent acquisition space, recruiters were getting, you know, grossly overpaid and they were becoming scarce. There was a point where they were looking for more recruiters than they were for engineers. Now you've seen several layoffs. And at this stage, a lot of people are like, I need to look for the next career. I've been out of work for close to a year. I need to make that shift. And so if somebody wants to be an apprentice, Do they, within the build within platform, choose where they want to go? Or do you give them a test? How does that part work? Yeah. Um, So the first thing is that there are assessments that the apprentice or the apprentice candidate can take. Um, And what we know based on the research is that the vast majority of Americans think that they are bad test takers. So we don't want to turn this into like a stress inducing experience, try to keep it like relatively quick and easy. But essentially what the assessments do is it gives the person a really good sense of like, here are your strengths, right? And based on those strengths, here are some of the careers that you can consider and or should consider, right? And then they have the opportunity to, through our career exploration website or what we call explore, they can like actually watch videos of people who are in those roles right now so that they can understand not just like looking at a job description, because there's only so much you can glean from that, right? You um, you want to hear from somebody who's doing that job right now, like, what does my day-to-day look like? What are the best and worst things about being in this job, Right. Um, so they can sort of watch those videos. And then based on that, look for opportunities for apprenticeships, like, um, and we've got, we've got them sort of across the country. Um, but a lot, as you know, like so many jobs now are, um, are virtual, right? So you could be in Dallas or in LA where I am and working for a company that's in Chattanooga or Sacramento or, you know, Baltimore. Um, uh, so there are so many opportunities um, to move into an apprenticeship um, virtually um, and across a wide range of jobs. Well, now I, now I have to ask the question. Okay, so you went to Cornell, yes. you went to Harvard, and now you're like, oh yeah, degree. When you've made huge investments into getting your degree, <laughs> right? I mean, so here's the thing. This I'll tell you this quick story. My husband and I, about a year ago, we moved into this like fancy apartment building in downtown Los Angeles. And when we moved in, we were like, who are our neighbors? Like we kept 
being in the elevator with all these 20 somethings. And my husband was like, what do these young people do? Like we can barely afford this place. And I used to play in the NBA. So like, how are these young people affording <laughs> this place? And so he like went on a mission to like, every time he was in the elevator, he'd ask the person like, Hey, what do you do for a living? Our neighbors are content creators, they are in cannabis, they are in crypto, gaming, like all of these things that honestly, they did not go to college to get a degree to do this. They are making great money. Um, probably their parents, when they said they were going to do this, were like, mm, what? Can you make right. a living off of this, right? So the world is just changing. And there are, you know, if you look at sort of the economy and the future of work, there are going to be more and more jobs that there are not specific like degree paths that are tied to these jobs, right? So for example, one of the things that we've been obsessed about at Build Within is the electrification space, right? Electric charging stations. Mm. Across the country, at any on any given day, 30% of electric charging stations are down, right? And that's because they don't have enough service technicians um, to, to, to go out and kind of, you know, do what they need to do. Um, this is not a, a job where, like, there's a whole bunch of training programs for this. And yet, all these jurisdictions across the country, like, focused on the infrastructure issue of like, how do we put more units in the ground? And nobody's really thinking about, wait a second, like, how are we going to make sure that we have a workforce to be able to service all of these stations? Um, and the reality is, as we're talking to people, like you don't necessarily need a college degree. You need to be super detail oriented. You need to learn how, you know, um, to, to, to fix certain things. But they're like, if you have a high school degree, if you're like, you know, detail oriented, you're competent, you go through the training program, you can get one of these jobs and, you know, within a couple of years be making six figures, right? right. So the world, like I said, is just a changing place. And I think, you know, less and less, and you're seeing this with college enrollment rates as well, right? People are beginning to realize, wait a second, does, is yeah. it work? <laughs> does this make sense? Um, yeah. You're so right. I laugh because I didn't finish my degree. And it, what's funny is, so um, a gentleman on my team has his PhD. He was working on his PhD. And uh, he was like, he was, I was, he was going to go to finish his PhD. He's made the investment. He knows he's taken some time. And I was like, you're so smart. And he goes, am I though? He was like, look, I have to stop working. I'm going to be making less. I'm going to have to pay back more so I can get this PhD or I can work through and earn the same and not do my, he was like, right now I'm not feeling really smart. And, and it's interesting because he was kind of like, it was his first job in the corporate from the education space, which again is difficult for some people to take and realizing like, understanding how business works versus how education works. And it's so competitive in the education space. And, um, but there was no way at the time to get a degree in diversity program management was not a career path. Uh, and looking at all of those things, I, I think it's really interesting. I, I think it's also true. I used to be a writer. And when I was asked to become a writer, I was like, I don't know how to write. And when I first wrote one day, like, this looks like a paper. Like, we're not looking for a paper. We just want to know what Jackie thinks. And I was like, really? 
<laughs> okay, I'll tell you. And I think that you're right with the content creators and the way people are doing um, things. There, there's no way that anybody would have been able to do that wasn't a marketing degree. That wasn't a communications degree. There are so many new roles. Um, I have a friend, his son is going for his master's program, but he already makes a living as a gamer. He's yeah. a professional gamer. He's going to school to get it and has his own place. And his parents are just falling out. <laughs> they just don't know what to do. Yeah. I mean, that that's exactly right. And you know, so many um, managers or HR folks, when you actually talk to them, even when somebody either has a degree or has the, you know, two to four years of experience, when they come into a new organization, like they're not 100% effective from day one anyways, right. right? There's sort of this learning curve. And so when you, when you take into account that even somebody who's experienced or who is degreed has an onboarding time period where they actually have to learn, well, how do they operate in this particular company, right? You 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 begin to see like, well, then having an apprentice who's never done this before, it might not be a huge leap, right? right. That and like what we have going on right now. I think um, it's also interesting, like, you know, I... I get so excited when I feel like I learned something and I have my oldest graduated with a math degree and my, my son's 20, he's in college. And I'll be like, I found out this thing. And they were like, okay, if you would have gone to college, <laughs> you would have learned that. And I was like, and I wouldn't have used it until five minutes ago. And I would have forgotten it. And it wouldn't have been the same software. I mean, I took keyboarding in college, not to date myself, but I took keyboarding. I didn't take a window. There was no such thing as that when I was in college. You know, we had to learn that stuff later. I mean, that's the thing, right? Especially with technology jobs, things are changing all the time. So people who got a computer science degree, even just like five or six years ago, with all the new sort of software that's out, you know, how people are coding and programming today versus how that was happening seven or eight years ago, it's like very different, right? So you you need a way to ensure that people are gaining new skills, whether that's through upskilling, whether that's through apprenticeships, right? That is nimble and flexible and can change like on the dime um, uh, as, as time goes on. And that's part of the reason why we felt like a software platform was the right way to do this because that way, like something changes, we can update a course and then it's updated for everyone all across the country. You might be surprised to know that not all serial killers are straight cisgender white men and the victims of true crime are not a monolith either. She's Wendy and I'm Beth and together we host Fruit Loop Serial Killers of Color, a true crime podcast. Together, we take deep dives into the true crime stories about marginalized and minoritized perps and victims that often go untold. We also provide the context and nuance that these stories deserve. At Fruit Loops, we're serving up true crime with a side of history, society, culture, and some fun. Listen to Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. another question kind of going in a different direction but i'm wondering what has been the biggest shift since you you've kind of made a transition right you went from education from that space to founder soft of a SaaS company how what has been the biggest thing that you've learned going through that process 
It's been fascinating. <laughs> uh, and like, but in a great and fun way, I'd say like the biggest thing to me, like I used to raise money in the nonprofit space and the sort of basic tenets of fundraising in the nonprofit and education world was raise as much money as you can and spend it as slowly as you can. Mm. And in like the startup space, it's almost exactly the opposite. Raise as little as you can get away with so that you don't have to give away a lot of equity in your company, but spend it fast and like show traction, right? Um, and so that leap has been, you know, different for me, but it's been incredibly fun. And my co-founder, Jimena, um, even though uh, we actually used to work together in education, she started a tech company right before this one. And so she went through all of the ups and downs of, of that experience. Um, and so I think has come into this one with me, like with such clarity on like, all right, these are the mistakes that I made before. We're not going to do this again. Right. So one of the yeah. things she told me early on, on the fundraising side, she's like, one of the things that I learned with my first company is not all money is good money. Mm, yep. She was like, we had investors that, you know, they just ended up being more of a pain. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, so I want for our, you know, for Build Within to be like really choosy about who we take money from and only be in business with people like that we like, that we want to spend time with, that we like, you know, believe in us. And like, this is a journey that's hard enough as it is. You got to do it with people that you like. Um, so those are some of the, the lessons I think that she has brought um, from her previous startup that really have helped us be clear about how we're approaching this one. Yes. I mean, it is a big risk. I, I worked in the startup space for a long time and I explained to people when they are like, why would you go to another startup? I'm always like, it's like, it's like haunted house fun for me. It's a little scary. It's a little edgy, not really sure what's behind the corner, you know, but when I get there, I'm like, Oh, I think we can do this. I think we can do this. And it's exciting. So it's my version of a haunted house. Real haunted houses are really scary for me, but it's like <laughs> my version. But also I, I noticed that you taught in Baltimore. My family's from Baltimore and you live in LA and culturally you just couldn't get more different than LA and, and Baltimore. Why was that? Like, where do you get good crab cakes? And what has that transition been like? <laughs> That's right. I started my career in Baltimore, Maryland at Harlem Park Elementary School, the place to be. Um, <laughs> and, uh, I mean, you know, I, I still have a fondness for that city. Um, in fact, I was in Maryland the other day and uh, presenting in front of like some workforce boards. And I was like, my career started here in Maryland. Um, and then, you know, you've got LA where, my goodness, I love LA. I love living here. It's, um, it's an amazing city, but like, it's so diverse here. Like I can go, it's funny. I just moved my, um, parents here. Oh, wow. Korea town. And they're like, oh my gosh, this is the best thing ever. We never have to speak English. Like our dog, farmer, <laughs> our pharmacist, our dry cleaner, our grocer they're all korean and like we never have to speak english again so hallelujah um, <laughs> yeah so uh and and my my husband uh and i in addition to this um we also have um soul food restaurants 
Um, so we opened uh, our soul food restaurant called Fix and Soul Kitchen, opened the first one in Sacramento, California, six months before the pandemic started. We opened our second one here in LA. Our third one just opened two weeks ago in Tulsa, Oklahoma on Black Wall Street. Ooh. Yes. And so uh, that is, has, is, is um, like fascinating work as well. And we actually have some apprentices who work for us in the restaurant um, business, but it just goes to show you that like the apprenticeship model can like, you know, it's, we started with like tech and tech adjacent jobs, but now we're moving into like insurance sales and restaurant management. And we just think the possibilities are, are endless on that front. Um but you know, our one of our apprentices, um, it lives in DC, but she works for this company. So she works virtually for us, right? And it was interesting because she was on a panel the other day, and one of the um one of the people asked her a question, and it goes back to something that you said earlier. They said, So if you were trying to tell uh, a, a new employer, like, why should you hire an apprentice? What would you say? And she said, she thought about it. And she was like, I would say, like, when you hire an apprentice, you have the opportunity to, like, mold this person into exactly what works for your company. Like, we don't come with bad habits from, like, a prior job of, like, oh, we have to do it this way or that. Like, you tell us. Like, what is the culture? What are the expectations of your company? And that apprentice is going to be oriented solely to that. And she said that. And I was like, that is so right. Like, I hadn't thought about it before. And um, that's exactly like how she has come into our company. Like, she um, had studied to go into healthcare mm. for three, graduated from Howard did it for three months. It was like, this is not it <laughs> for, for me. Right. Right. It's like been creative and wanted to do something along those lines. And so um, we had a position for a digital marketing and social media associate, right. Apprentice. And so she came into the role. She's able to use like all of her creative juices in DC, but working for a company in LA and she gets to travel like to all the different restaurant sites um, she's like a little bit learning the restaurant business, but really is more like, you know, able to flex those muscles. And it's interesting because on that same panel, someone asked her, they were like, um, what was like the biggest surprise to you about being an apprentice? She's like, I didn't know what being an apprentice was. She's like, mm. I thought I was being an intern. I thought I was going to be running around, getting coffee, making copies. She's like, being an apprentice is no joke. Like, I am in this job. Every day people expect me to, like, do certain things. She's like, now I have support. You know, I have the platform. I can learn. I, I have places to go. She's like, but, you know, like, this really is, like, learning on the job. It's not, it's not watching somebody do it. It is like you are learning and doing at the same time. Um, and so that's like also one of the things that I think goes back to what you were saying earlier is like, you know, people just, um, you don't, you don't know ahead of time, like when you're going to get that degree, like, do I really see myself in that job in the long term? Right. And so I think more and more people are going to want to be in this place where, they see a job, they're like, all right, how can I get into that job? Five years later, they might be in something else, right? And so we have to develop training programs for people in new jobs and new industries that are much more nimble, 
right? Mm-hmm. Uh, right. For people to be able to switch from this to that. Cause I think that's just going to be the wave of the future. I think you're right. And to ask, I, I always thought this was really funny. Every, anytime I would go take a class, I wanted to audit a class or just take one or two classes at community college or a sit. And you always get the advisor on the phone. Right. And they're like, Oh, well, why did you leave? And I'm like, at the time I was like, really, I'm 40. Like, you want to know why I left like 22 years ago? <laughs> I was like, I wanted a party. Uh, I didn't, my eight o'clock class was too early. Like, what is it relevant to now? And it's, and then I was like, wait, do I want to go back? I'm going to have to learn all of these things. And I still don't know what I want to do when I grow up <laughs> and then I'm going to get it and it's outdated or it's not relevant or something new came up. And I think people are moving faster to success. They're trying to move faster. And I think the whole world is moving faster these days with the technologies that we're seeing. And the other thing is like, I think that we are so penned in sometimes to kind of like certain ideas about what it means to be in a particular job or even a particular industry, right? So we are talking to folks, for example, in the hospitality, industry. Um, And they were saying to us, like, we have realized that we have people who work in certain jobs at our properties and in a hotel, and they don't and they think, oh, I'm a front desk uh, attendant, right? Um, And if I don't want to do this forever, then I have to go somewhere else and, you know, um, go back to school, etc. And and they're like, but I, I, these folks don't realize that you want to go into like food and beverage. Like we have an opportunity for that. You want to go into marketing and sales. We have opportunities there. You want to do tech finance, like within the hospitality industry, there are so many jobs that are actually available. And what they're saying to us is like, people don't understand that they don't have the visibility. Right. And they don't necessarily understand like there is career mobility, like, um, and, and, you know, uh, opportunity within that. And then what they're trying to figure out right now is, all right, how can we use the apprenticeship model to like Mm -hmm. move? Like I'm a front desk attendant right now and I want to move into digital marketing and social media for the same company, right? How do I gain the skills to be able to do that? Like that is like a perfect match for, you know, an apprenticeship or upskilling like that. And, And it's rare. There's a gentleman I work with. He started as customer success. Then he moved to recruiting. Now he's in human resources at the same company, but he's got such vast knowledge about our company, the internal culture, what our product, all of these things that we couldn't dream of, of teaching and being able to move internally. And why lose top talent if you're able to help throughout these different roles? Has anyone used it? Does Build Within do anything with like internal talent mobility or people who are doing those things? Because so many people, they love their boss or they love the company and they love the company culture. Yeah. Especially if you're lucky enough to have found an inclusive culture and then have to go back out there where you're so, you never know what you're going to get. So when we started the company, we were really focused on the apprenticeship model. But um, more recently, what we've realized is that um, employers really like they like the apprenticeship model for for either bringing in new people, but now they're beginning to realize, wait a second, we could use this for upskilling, right? And that's sort of opened a new world for us because what we're realizing is, you know, 
employers, if, if we as Build Within through our platform can help employers to realize like there is a way to set things up so that your employees can learn about the job possibilities like internally, but in different departments, what um, what skills they might have that they could leverage for certain jobs, right? So that's where like um, them doing the assessments will be helpful, that sort of thing. So absolutely, like there's um, there is significant um, potential for us to like work with employers more broadly on how do you think about your talents sort or of writ large, right? Because in a lot of for a lot of employers that we talk to, they're like, well, we have certain jobs that we're actually phasing out, right? Mm. Through technology and other things. So we're going to have people who are in those roles right now who won't be them in them a year from now, but they're like great loyal folks. So, you know, how can we upskill them or reskill them to um, match some of the jobs where like in other departments that are really growing aggressively? Um, and so being able to kind of, utilize a platform to set employers up for success where they can help to guide people internally through those processes is, I think, going to become increasingly important. Yes. And I, I mean, I can, I can feel it. And I hope people who are listening, like, now's the time to do the assessment and the gap, even if you're not hiring today for a full-time position having a better understanding and audit of those skills and being able to increase your diversity internally when you're looking for various people. And I mean, what you were talking about when you were saying, oh, people of color or older people or all of these different skills, now's the time when it's like, okay, you have this model, you have to figure out when the, what, where the gap is, get started now because this happens every year, every time this happens, Michelle, all of a sudden, one person will say, oh, we're hiring 2000 people this year. And then it just goes, you know, ape. all these people, the faucet turns on and people aren't ready to compete. So they overpay, you know, they under, you know, they don't look at the right skills are making really these fast decisions without understanding the talent that they need and building on that talent. And, and I always say now's the time to invest, like double down on DEIB initiatives. It's the time to double down on looking at what skills and looking at those gaps before it turns back on and gets away from you. Cause so many, but they never listen to me, right? Like I, every time they want to build, they talk to talent acquisition and DEIB. When they want to cut, they talk to finance and they don't, they're like, oh, well, we need to cut this amount. Um, but we don't need to cut skills, right? We don't need to cut those things. Those things we need to build. That's right. And you have to, and you don't necessarily have to build skills. You don't necessarily have to say to somebody, okay, we are going to guarantee you that you will be moving into this position like on date certain, right? Because folks also just, they want to be involved in professional development. They want to be improving themselves. They want to be gaining additional skills and to know like, oh, I could do that in this realm. Um, if I gain certain skills in, in this area, I could go this direction or that direction, right? You're going to increase your employee loyalty, their engagement, right? Um, by, to your point, thinking a little bit ahead and not just like, when you got to press the gas pedal, but if you're doing stuff now, knowing that, you know, a year from now, 18 months from now, we might just be like hiring massively again, 
But if you're sort of laying the groundwork now, you might have internal folks that you can move into those roles um, because you've invested now in making sure that they're being professionally developed. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast. That's the part. I mean, it's like the biggest frustration for, I think, a lot of DEIB practitioners and trying to explain these things, I think people are slowly starting to get it and understand. But I also like the second chance aspect of Build Within. Of It's a great opportunity because there has been a push. We know that there's been a push to end the over requirements. We know that there's been a push for getting people the the second chance, but we also know how bias works and how we got here, right? It has to do with fear, has to do with transferring power. Oh, somebody's taking my job away from me or what if something goes wrong? So I'm just gonna go do it the way that I've always done it. Um, I'm wondering how has it worked with people who maybe they were previously incarcerated or people that maybe they've never had a job and now they're looking for a job now that all their kids are back in school and they're like, never had a job. And I'm, you know, 45 years old. What can I do? How is it working in those two? I know those are two vastly separate worlds, but I'd love to hear how that is working. Yeah. So I think about goes to what you said, which is like, people tend to be stuck in this old paradigm of this is what we need in someone. This is how we're going to assess whether someone has, uh, you know, what we want. Um, so just a quick example, we were working with a company um, that told us they had vacancies and wanted to hire. Um, we were uh, sending that company, um, you know, t- kind of traditional uh, resumes. And they were looking at them, no, 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 no. And what we realized was like the traditional resumes were not doing a good job of sort of highlighting what we felt like these candidates could bring to the table. And so we moved to a completely different skills and competency-based profile, right? So not like, was there any gaps in your employment? Where were you before? But like, here is what I know and I'm able to do. And when we um, reframed it that way, um, the, the, the employer was looking at a piece of paper was like, okay, they know how to do that. They can do that. They learned that. Like, that's what I need for this job, right? They really sort of opened their shutters to a whole new pool of folks. And so I think that um, moving away from like the traditional like resume type into skills and competency-based kind of um, hiring practices really does help um, those candidates, those like sort of more non-traditional candidates, right? It helps them and it helps take the bias out of so many processes that are kind of inherent in like the old school models. I just tell people, if you're hiring the same way you were hired, it's probably time to make a change. <laughs> like, you know, it's like, why are we like passing on the trauma why are we doing it? It's like, oh, well, I had to do it. You had to do it. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to do it in that way. And 
we have a rare opportunity right now as we're seeing new roles that we haven't seen before. Again, new technology and new a new talent pool. I think out of, we always say the before times when we're talking about COVID, but there's a lot of people that had the chance to slow down enough to see what they wanted or what they didn't want or a change that they wanted to make. Um, and a lot of people are moving into that that space. And I'm seeing a lot of teachers transitioning and using some of the skills that they're having, especially as we're seeing different things that come down, um, like different, just different rules or different places where they're having different scenarios of trying to make those changes and not recognizing how many skills people are using. And And I think about that a lot. Well, like the transferable skills piece is big, right? So taking your educator example, not that I'm trying to take any teachers out of the classroom. I Absolutely not. not. My son wants to be a teacher. So we have another one <laughs> in the classroom. However, for for folks who uh, have made that decision, like that they want to go into something else, what we've found, for example, is that teachers make great customer success managers, because you need to have a lot of patience, right? You are dealing with like multiple people with like very different personalities. And oftentimes you have to bring them around to something you have to teach them like, oh, here's how you can best utilize our software, our product, etc. So the transferable skills from being an educator into being a customer success manager, like those are really clear, right? And you can draw so many parallels like that. And that's part of what, um, you know, we're working on is showing people what the potential is. Like you, people sometimes like themselves are like, oh, I can't do that. I can't do that because I don't have this and I don't have that. And, um, you know, what we're trying to show people is no, you can, and there's a route through which you can do that. Like they're like, the world is your oyster, literally. Um, and don't, don't be the one that's shutting yourself off from these opportunities. Um, cause there, there, there are routes into both gaining the skills that you need, and then also actually being able to, to be employed in these roles. That, yes, I think that's funny. You're right. I, it's so because you don't have much of a choice. I laugh. I have a friend, she's a kindergarten teacher. And one time I was like, Hey, do you want to go out for cocktails? And she was like, I can't, I can't go out for cocktails because I'm teaching science. And I was like, yeah, but you teach kindergarten. And she was like, have you ever tried to teach a five-year-old about the sun (laughs) and the moon? And she, I was like, no how do you do that she's like exactly like have you ever tried to explain that you know we're floating but we're not floating like have you ever tried to explain what happens and I was cracking up and I was like oh that's just one little thing of trying to figure out and you're right so many customers are like you have to explain it lots of different ways and then pivot and try to do all of those different pieces. You just, I, I mean, I think people really underestimate like servers are another like group, right? So you serve in a restaurant, you have to have like situational awareness. You have to yes. problem solve through so many things. And so, you know, if you're a server, you, certainly there's like a trajectory that you can go through in, you know, the restaurant industry, but you've got some transferable skills that you could literally use to go into so many different um, career tracks as well. And so like 
opening that possibility and showing people what that could look like is sort of one of our passions at, at Build Within. I love that. Well, you know, you've always been out front. You've always had those pieces, but you're also a founder of a company. And I know that there's a lot of our audience that are like, as a woman founder of a software company, is there anything that you wish you would have known a couple of years ago prior to getting involved or any surprises that you've learned since you've gotten into this kind of world? I think that um, my journey has been so um, facilitated by my co-founder, Jimena, um, because she went through this before. Um, and I think for us, that's why we always want to be as helpful as we can to other female founders, other founders of color. Both of us are are people of color um, just because like the deck is stacked against us. Right. I mean, if you yeah. look at any of the statistics around, um, you know, the percentage of venture dollars that go to um, women, founders, uh, founders of color, it's like staggeringly low. Um, and the fact that she uh, founded the, her prior company, had a wildly successful exit from that, you would expect that people literally would be throwing money at her, right? And a lot right. of our partners are like, oh my gosh, like why, why, why isn't everybody just like opening their checkbook to him in it? And, and she's like, I feel like if I was a 40 year old white tech bro, that would yep. probably be happening. Right. Um, but the reality is she's like, she'll tell you, she's like, I have an accent. I'm super intense. I do not like look the part. And because of that, people are, you know, a little, you know, like, I don't know if skeptical is the right word. It's just not, it's not as obvious. Um, and for that reason, like that has been kind of su somewhat surprising and disappointing to me is like knowing mm -hmm. that all of those biases like still exist. And there's very much um, a an environment where people kind of look at us as two female founders of color and are, you know, despite the fact that we have both have like track records of success, right. still there's a lot of skepticism around that. that. That has been, you know, a little disappointing and surprising to me, but I think it makes us hungrier to like just yes. prove our and knock this out of the park with with build within um and then to be able to hopefully like open doors for other people along the way i i love that my um at textio our co-founders are um partners they are married and uh, um she was talking about everyone was looking to her husband anytime even though she he was the cto she's the ceo they would always face her and and eventually he started sitting next to the person they the bc person or whoever they were meeting with he would sit next to them so they would have to look at her or they'd have to twist their body around to look at him and it would make it incredibly awkward so that they would have those conversations i was like oh that's a good one but it's like it's sad that you would still have to do that yeah. you know but one day we're getting yeah. closer one day and we'll you know we'll be on call like our 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 staff our team is super diverse um and so we'll get comments all the time like we'll be doing a demo or something like that and people will be like oh my gosh i've never been on a investor call or a tech demo with like so many people of color on the zoom <laughs> call right um and in this day and age like it's 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 sort of surprising but also it's like all right well this is why and that's why for us like the apprenticeships um are so important because giving 
uh, a diverse group of candidates like avenues in to be able to be at the table to be able to be on these calls i mean we have a print we 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 drink our own kool-aid so we hire apprentices we have them on our team and like every day they're out there like knocking it out and making us proud and we're like this this is what is possible like when you give people the opportunity and you set the expectations and you give them the support that they need like there is no end to what they can do no and, and I love that we were, we had a, uh, a dinner, we were all out at dinner and uh, there's two men that are on the executive team, but they weren't with us. So it was all women sitting, eating dinner. And I was like, no one thinks that this is the executive team of a software company right now. No one in this restaurant is thinking that, you know, and it's like, we're getting, we're getting closer and it was amazing. And it's, it's always, you know, it's an honor. It's a privilege to do that. But I, I love the support and the opportunities. You're right. So, well, I know we're getting close to time. So I do want to ask if you have one thing that you want our listeners to take away from what they've heard today, what would that be? Um, there's one thing I would probably say is our, our company motto. So our company model is potential over credential. Like, mm. And in a different world, the days of like what we call the paper ceiling, right? Where you have to have this degree or that credential like is over. And we have to start focusing more on like, what is the potential that people have? And then like, what are the resources and supports that we can put in place to help them meet that potential? And when we do that, like as a company, we believe that we can be living in a world where there are zero vacancies, right? Where people, where employers aren't clamoring every day, but in order to get there, there's got to be a complete sort of paradigm shift. So potential over credential. <laughs> I love that. And if I had one thing to say, and I laugh that Katie's not here because she always steals mine when I say mine. But if I had one that I would say, I think it's really what you got to at the end of giving people the opportunity, like you literally can change the world. And also, I think it's so interesting, you know, I want to give you your flowers too for going and making that pivot and giving people opportunities that they may not have had. I think that's great in giving and being, setting an example and setting that path of having more women founders and women of color to be able to do that, I think is great and cool. And I also need to throw in there, if you feel like opening a soul food restaurant in Waco, you know, we're not that far, far from Oklahoma. Let me just tell you that Kevin Johnson right now is on the hunt. He is trying to open 50 fixins across the country. And so Texas is on his radar. So if you want to. I'm wanna... sure Chip and Joanna would love to meet you all. I think y'all would be best friends. Yes, because <laughs> Joanna also, she's half Korean. I have some half Korean kids. Like we could all. <laughs> That's right. Well, thank you, Michelle, for joining me. I am Jackie Clayton, and you've been listening to the Inclusive AF Podcast. And thanks so much. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Do you love news about LinkedIn, Indeed, Google, and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah. 
I'm Chad. I'm Cheese. We're the Chad and Cheese Podcast. All the latest recruiting news and insights are on our show. Dripping in snark and attitude. Subscribe today wherever you listen to your podcasts. We We out. out.